was no Bitcoin, there would be no NFTs, no metaverse, no Ethereum, no anything, right? This was the first one. And I believe it's the most high integrity because the founders did not care about fame, money, or power. They created. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian Davids podcast. I'm your host, as always, Christian Davids. And guys, we have a very special guest on tonight, and I'm so excited about having this woman on. She is the CEO and board member, investor, and founder of LDP Ventures, a women's entrepreneurship day organization. We do. She's also the chief pet officer of Animal Fair Media, which we're going to be diving into. It's a really cool uh, vertical. She's also known for her work in promoting women entrepreneurs, animal rescue, impact investment, and women in technology. She has a passion for disruptive technologies and their positive social impact. She's also authored several books, appeared in various media, well-established outlets, and has been a keynote speaker at events such as United Nations, Harvard University, and Davos. Please welcome my next guest, the one and only Wendy Diamond. How are you doing today, Wendy? Fantastic. Woohoo! Wonderful. I am looking forward to this conversation. And I just thought your background in so many different things, not only did you succeed and and but also made a huge impact in these these different verticals that you got into. But I want to kind of get into a little bit of fun stuff before we dive into all the investing and all that fun things. You started out as this love for pets. And you obviously were able to work with, you know, pet and high level celebrities. Help us understand the evolution of that and where that idea came from. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, when I first moved to New York, I was really young, right? And, uh, you know, I graduated from college. I sent out hundreds of resumes. No one gave me a job. And so, you know, when I moved to New York, I had to figure out my own life, right? And I ended up uh, volunteering uh, for the Coalition for the Homeless on their van. Uh, and I would feed a thousand people per week, right? And I just ha- it just was so impactful to me. And I loved doing it that I wanted to make a difference, right? So I decided at that point when I was 24, I think, yeah, that I would do two cookbooks. And I did two cookbooks with all the celebrities like Madonna and everybody. And we raised a half million dollars for the homeless. I was on Oprah and Howard Stern and all this stuff. And it supported the Coalition for the Homeless here in New York, but Empty the Shelters at that time was an organization across the country helping homeless people. And when I I, was recently in New York, I felt a little alone. I decided I was going to adopt a dog. So I went to our city shelter and when I got there, I couldn't believe it. Like there were all these purebreds, purebred cats, purebred dogs. And I adopted a purebred Maltese and a purebred Russian blue cat. And yeah, I like cats too. And so what happened, you know, when I, I couldn't believe when I came home, I was just like, how did I get these animals, these purebreds? And I started doing research and I learned 12 million animals were euthanized a year that year. And at the time, and I know it's hard to believe today, but at that time, nobody was talking about adoption or rescue. There was nothing in the media about celebrities and pets. And I was like, wow, if we could bring celebrities and and pop culture to the animal rescue world and teach everyone you could adopt any breed, any size, any age, um, I knew we could bring that number of 12 million animal euthani- uh, euthanized a year down, right? So I created a media company, not knowing any better, right? Because I'm an entrepreneur, I just go in, I don't even think about like anything. And so, you know, because I don't have that schooling, right? Of like Harvard Business School of, oh, you should plan it. And I just kind of did it because I really wanted to make, you know, help these animals because I couldn't believe that that number. 
And so that's when I created the first media company to bring celebrities and pop culture to the animal rescue world. Because I, you know, everyone in the world wants to help. You just have to make it easy for them. So just to, to show like these celebrities that adopted animals and that you could adopt any breed, any size, any age, I knew we could bring that number down. So we, you know, Vanity Fair and New York Times and Fox and everybody basically said we brought celebrities and pop culture to the animal rescue world. So like, you know, our launch was like, we created the first ever pet fashion show in history. And that's where we had like Hillary Swank and all these famous people walking rescue dogs, wearing um, famous designer dog outfits. And so it created that whole media world of bringing celebrities and pets to pop culture. Well, you brought a... Um... You know, you obviously, just like an entrepreneur, you go out there, you find a problem and you solve the problem with your media and, and obviously your, 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 your vertical. And I thought that was so interesting how you approach that, but also you were able to leverage your, your Rolodex, your connections to be able to bring awareness to this. And where, where did the creativity, was that more of your entrepreneurial side where you were able to bring a lot of creativity and like you just mentioned, a dog show and, and all those fun things and a, and, a, and, a, and a beauty show and so forth. I thought that was kind of a cool approach, bringing awareness to it, you know, raising, uh, raising donations and so forth to it, but also in a creative aspect. I think I've always been scrappy. Right. Like I've always had, like figure out a way to do it. Right. I never had big budgets and things like that. And so being, you know, someone who just really loves making a difference in the world, like I, I have never worked on anything that didn't matter. Right. It's just, it's really in me to do that. Um, I knew just to create funny ways to do things. Like I created a term now that's used everywhere called yappy hour, you know, happy hour, but yappy hour for dogs, right? And I created that word and I went across the country and I would do these parties where we would raise money for the local animal rescue groups because rescue is local, by the way. People don't realize when you're giving money to the ASPCA or Humane Society of the United States has nothing to do with your SPCA in your local community, right? Or Humane Society in your local community. And it's really key for people to understand that because those, you know, those local groups are the ones that are really rescuing these animals and really the ones that are supporting those animals in your community. And so I just would go on, you know, I would write a book, you know, so I have 10 books out, you know, how to understand men through their dogs, how to understand women through their cats. It's a dog's world. It's a cat's world, how to train your boss to roll over. And I would, I would take these books and I'd go on a book tour, but always tied in to help support the local animal rescue groups and create fun, you know, different events to do that. That's incredible. And I just think that the creativity aspect now during this journey in brand awareness and partnership and collaboration with these a celebrities and very well-known individuals, what were some of those tough parts? Were there certain, or was it more of just kind of, you had the macro kind of tailwind and a lot of just, you know, excitement around it, around this project that was like, you just hit with such massive momentum that there was not a lot of uh, a lot of hurdles that you had to overcome, but I would imagine in anything there was probably some hurdles. What were those things, and how did you overcome I those? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's very few people I know that could say this was easy. Anything was easy, right? <laughs> I mean, first of all, when we launched Animal Fair, and it was like Vanity Fair, Animal Fair, but fairness to animals to bring awareness towards animal rescue, animal welfare, and pet lifestyle issues. And uh, so when we launched, you know, we went to all those advertisers. Literally, Perina said to me. We can't advertise with you because you're putting do dogs in, in clothing. Okay. Like that was like, they said that to me. Now 
they are sponsoring one of the big Perina's sponsoring one of the biggest pet fashion shows, you know, in the country, right? So, you know, it just, I think there's so many obstacles, right? There's so many, it, but I love, I think when you really have a passion for something and a purpose, it just drove me. So for the first four years, it was almost impossible, right? I mean, we did get Renee Zellweger and her dog on our first cover. Um, and, you know, but it just still was always really hard because I was never willing to work with the big groups that had all the money. I was always trying to help the local animal rescue groups. So it's just a kind of, and they don't have any marketing or PR. So it's always trying to be creative and working really hard to bring awareness and to, you know, help everyone realize, you know, that you should adopt versus buy, you know, we could bring that number down. I was curious, just on a personal note, obviously there's been a lot of controversy in regards to what I was doing research for this podcast in regards to that, those puppy mills and those kind of, you know, some companies, I'm not going to say any, but obviously some that are kind of known for having some sort of, you know, obviously it's, it's a merchandise and that's kind of thing, what they think about. It's a product and they're trying to sell, like you mentioned, adopt versus buy. Um, what was, how did you guys navigate that um, in regards to making sure that obviously, you know, you guys are, it looks like you want to have us. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go perfect. I mean, I mean, you know, listen, I mean, I've got so many nemesis like they want me dead, you know, uh, Dennis Sprung, <laughs> the head of the AKC, you know what? He can do whatever he wants, but he hates me because the last thing the AKC ever wanted in their lives was to have to support mutts and adoption right? Because they get $25 for each dog. Well, at that time, I don't know what it is now, but they would get $25 for anybody that bought a dog and it was a purebred. They would, they would register it with the AKC. So the AKC is a very wealthy group of people, you know, organization. And so if somebody adopts, that means the AKC and all those people that are making a lot of money at the AKC, right? That means, oh no, that's not good for us, right? So we had a lot of, a lot of, you know, we, I was dealing with a lot of stuff at that time. You know, finally the AKC has come around a little bit, but remember that's not their business, right? Their business is to sell and animals. And, to, and, you know, who do you think is paying for the lobbyists in Washington to allow puppy mills to, you know, have hundreds and hundreds of animals. Really, if people really want to bring, right now it's about 2 million animals euthanized a year. You want to bring that down, you know, law, you know, legally people should only be allowed to breed, you know, a number of dogs that they can handle themselves, 10, let's say, you know, but if you're doing hundreds, hundreds, of course there's going to be conditions, you know, and some that are not, you know, handled properly and so forth. Yeah, with like any any in any industry, there's always a, an underbelly. Like there's always that kind of shady stuff that happens, and that's why I was curious. Obviously, when you are a naysayer and you kind of you know stick your head out and say, "Hey, this is something you know going on," and we want to obviously bring awareness to this and attention, then also then you start climbing the mountain. People can start throwing tomatoes and stuff at you, right? Which is obviously criticism and all that crap. And so now in today's social media world. Uh, how has that affected you in regards to obviously making sure that you're still on that path, that North Star, right? And being able to mitigate all that other naysaying and know that, hey, you know what? You you know who you are, you know what you're doing. And even with all the, the, the negativity, you're still going to go out there and achieve that North Star, you and your company. Well, I think it goes, you know, so 
you know, my background is, you know, you know, I created the media company. I ended up being one of the first people to bring, you know, dogs up for adoption on TV and then getting TV shows and all this stuff. And one of the things, you know, 10 books out, five TV shows, three Guinness World Records, um, a primetime show on CBS called Greatest American Dog on the Today Show every month. I got a crazy stalker bully, right? And so that was in 2011, 12. And that's what basically made me realize like, whoa, you know, because I never got in this to be famous or, you know, I'm not into fame, money or power, right? I, you know, started a media company to help animal rescue, right, basically. And it wasn't about like, oh, and so I had so many opportunities to sign on the dotted line to things that could have made me quite wealthy, but I didn't do it because I have, you know, I have integrity in everything I do. And when you have integrity and you know what you're doing and you're confident and you're doing it for the right reasons, when you have those naysayers and those people, it's, you know, for me, I don't really care anymore. Like they know it can hurt me anymore. I don't need to be famous. I don't, I'm, you know, I feel like the animal rescue world became a little disingenuous, you know, and I, I just love helping. So whether it's doing this or helping impoverished women become entrepreneurs or doing whatever I do, I just love doing it. Well, and you, you speak of, uh, you know, female founders going out there and you with LDP Ventures, you obviously deploy a lot of capital and, and you guys say investing in the underdog, a philosophy inspired by the founders rescue dog, Lucky Diamond. Famous pop-ups is the inspiration behind the Ventures Purpose Driven Strategy and symbolizes the, your commitment to a more just and equitable future for all living beings. Now, you guys also deploy a lot of capital in blockchain, robotics, fintech, real estate, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, VR, all that fun stuff. Now, my question is, you know, you've been able to have, network with an incredible amount of individuals. And we've talked on this podcast about how VC capital there's only about two to maybe five percent are deployed toward female founders, and obviously we've yeah, had that conversation. Two, yeah, less than, yeah, less than two. Yeah. I don't know where it's five. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Well, that's how. So what happened? I had a stalker, right? So you know, at that point, uh, I stopped, you know, being public about what I was doing and all this stuff. I keep, you know, promoting animal rescue and getting a dog adopted a day on our social media, but I don't, you know, I wasn't going out there. And I ended up um, taking a vacation to Honduras not realizing it was the murder capital of the world. And that's where I you know, volunteered for an organization that gives microloans to impoverished women. And I was supposed to go for a couple hours. I spent three days and learned all about those statistics in 2013 when, again, nobody was talking about women entrepreneurs or women in business in that time, like, literally. And even like the, you know, the State Department's initiative towards entrepreneurs never even recognized women at the time, right? UN Women wasn't even talking about entrepreneurship. It was very few people. None of the companies had women's movements, really. A few of them did, like Dell and a couple, but very few did, right? And that's when I realized, wow, if we could do what we did in the animal world and, you know, if we can basically bring awareness to the importance of empowering women in business, we can alleviate poverty. At that time in 2013, 250 million girls were living in poverty. Uh, one percent, one percent, it's double. One uh, percent of venture dollars at the time went to female founders. So that's when I was like, "Wow, you know, I'm gonna go back to New York and I'm gonna create an official day in the world." Because if we create an official day, we create the conversation. So I went at the time it was like Governor Cuomo and Mayor De Blasio, and I went to them and I said, "Hey, could we make November 19th 
uh, Women's Entrepreneurship Day. And so that was how it all began. And that was the idea behind creating Women's Entrepreneurship Day. And that's how, you know, we're now in 100 countries, recognized by U.S. Congress, you know, Governor Hockel now and, all, and President of Mexico and all these different people. And, we're, you know, we're, I think TED, you know how TED, people talk about themselves and ideas, TED Talks, right? We bring governments, business leaders, civil society, entrepreneurs, investors together to collaborate, to find solutions to economically empower women from the ground up approach. And because of this initiative, I, I'd love for you to just share a few stories maybe of, of women. You don't have to share their names or anything, but of a few stories that because of this initiative, you have seen the, the, the capitalization as well as the awareness bring to this, uh, this, this vertical that obviously needs to be you know, brought to, to the forefront, uh, definitely in today's world. Well, I mean, a few things that, you know, we, when, uh, you know, de Blasio wasn't the best mayor for New York City, right? <laughs> Judah. Uh, but, you know, but at the end, you know, he launched, uh, he, you know, officially proclaimed Women's Entrepreneurship Day. And for proclaiming that, he also launched at the same time in honor of that, we NYC, where now for the last, you know, uh, 10 years, They've been funding a program to support women entrepreneurs in New York City, right? Million, it's I think it's a twenty million dollar budget. Same thing with Garcetti in LA. Um, we also created the first women in disability startup cohort to help disabled women become entrepreneurs. And now Google for Startups is funding the whole thing, and that's now you know going on. So we just work, and you know we're big partners with Opportunity International, where we fund thousands of impoverished women with microloans. You know their micro loans, so they're paying them back and it goes to another woman, right? And we also, you know, are, are partners with Defy Ventures, helping uh, incarcerated women with an entrepreneurship program while they're in about one year or two years from leaving prison, which has been super successful, 84% success rate, meaning they don't go back to prison when they get out. Because you know how hard it is for these people. I mean, they know when, you know, do you have a criminal record? They have to say yes, right? So there's, it's really complicated. So I believe giving a hand up, not a handout, is the key to success, right? When women are empowered in business, they have self-confidence and dignity. They don't allow human rights violations, right? And with all this and all the data that backs all this, it's just so important to support women, and especially, you know, with entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship, because if you work for a company, you better, you know, be in there trying to give ideas because it's not easy to keep your job anymore as, you, as we've seen all these jobs now being eliminated. 100%, 100%. And it was interesting, looping back on, on the VCs, uh, the number, like you mentioned, less than 2% of VC deploy is toward founders. And so it's cool to see, like you mentioned, because of this niche that you established, we're seeing a lot more kind of deploy and more awareness, which then obviously helps us then obviously deploy more capital toward it. And it's also interesting that someone mentioned this to me where female founders actually outperform male founders uh, by a very large margin, actually. And I, I thought that was really cool when he showed that to me. I thought, oh, that's, that's actually very impressive now yeah, i want to ask experience go, myself oh wonderful let's let's dive into that <laughs> well yeah like so so for instance uh let's see you know i have to you know when i first got into investing uh you know i you, when you first get in it and you're not like a professional you know you've been i didn't have the experience right and i was starting to invest and so forth i got involved with some wrong people right and i invested and i obviously lost but the, the percentage of the women founders in our portfolio 
have been super successful. I mean, one would be Base Pause. Have you ever heard of that company? I have not, no. 23andMe for pets to help pets live longer and healthier lives using the DNA, the genome, blah, 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 and then selling that data to the pet health companies so that they can create more healthcare that is going to help pets live longer and healthier lives, selling it to the pet food companies. She was on Shark Tank. Kevin O'Leary invested in her. And when she was going for her series, I mean, she, when, first of all, when you met the founder, Anna Skaya, when you met her, you were like, holy cow, this she's going to make it happen, right? And, you know, you kind of know those people that just have that drive. And so she was going for her series A and then Zoetis came and, you know, I think they bought her 30X. So, you know, it's all about the people, but I feel like, you know, in, in especially looking at our portfolio, definitely feel the women have, you know, far outdid the men. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think you guys do outperform us and that's statistically shown. And it's very interesting to see that. Now, I want to ask this just on a side note. I am actually astounded by how much the, the dog market has exploded. It has become like a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar company, uh, you know, industry. And it's really right. actually just on a side note, it's just been really caught me off guard. I, I've seen some amazing, you know, I mean, you look at all sorts of different companies that are, you know, have healthcare or clothing or bones and all sorts of other different things. Chewy is a really great subscription model and so forth. So, but uh, has that caught you off guard or did you kind of, because you were already in that industry and then you started looking at these other verticals within this, did you kind of already, you, you were already planted in that and you started seeing, okay, this is going to be huge because, you know, how many people spend a lot of money for, for their dogs and so forth? I knew it was going to be huge just from my experience of having animals when I was a child. I mean, how can anyone deny the love you get from, especially a dog, the unconditional love, the loyalty, the bond, they never talk back. They're just sweet. They're just there for you at every moment. <laughs> and so, come here, happy. We're talking about, come here, come here. Watch this, watch this, this is so funny. Come here, happy. Come here, come on. <laughs> is that the funniest thing? Anyway, so just dogs are the best thing you could ever. I mean, I just and I knew it, and I knew it. And but by the way, it's been going up slowly, right? It hasn't just gone boom, right? It slowly happened. And if you look at where it started happening, you could kind of like put your, you know, put the pinpoint on when we created Animal Fair, because at that time. There were only a few people doing dog bags. There were maybe, I mean, Fifi and Romeo, I think, was the only real dog fashion brand. And so as you look at this, where this is gone is when celebrities in pop culture take over. That's what happened. You know, because then you started seeing more dogs on TV shows. You saw People Magazine now doing celebrities and pets. And you saw all this stuff. That's what brought, and people now realize how important pets are in our lives. Yeah, I, I remember numerous times, you know, I had two dogs and I remember numerous times my yeah, girlfriend and I, we would go to, we do not, uh, she has them. But yeah. the thing is, is she, uh, I remember every time we would go to, you know, uh, you know, pets, Petco or whatever, we would always walk out with a whole bunch of handful of stuff, you know, of cute little sweaters and things like that. They were the cutest little things, but uh, that's awesome. And I, now let me dive into the LDP ventures. You, you focus on impact investing and 
What I find so interesting right now at the macro side, impact investing has got a lot of tailwind right now. But I want to help us understand how you think about impact investing and then the ESG side of things as well, because it is social impact. And that's kind of what you're optimizing for. But sometimes I do believe that sometimes uh, because I've had a, a conversation with a friend of mine where sometimes if you're impact investing doesn't mean that you're going for the best internal rate of return, right? So it might be totaled two different things or pendulums, but I truly believe that sometimes it could align holistically and by having impact investing, you can actually have a really phenomenal IRR. But I wanted to ask you, Wendy, how do you approach impact investing and, and what is your what is your perspective on that? How, how do you think about that? Well, first of all, I've been in impact my whole entire life, right? So everything I've done has been with that mindset. So I, now that people, it's a, an official word and it's official, people talk about it all the time with ESG and et cetera. I, this is just part of my mindset. So looking at what we invest in and so forth, it's more about number one, do we understand it, right? Do I understand what we are investing in? So whether, you know, so we're, we're across a lot of different funds and startups and et cetera. Um, the funds are everything from cell-based, plant-based, cell agriculture, plant-based fund, right? Why are we in that? I've been a vegetarian since I was seven years old. You know, I would do anything for better food for us, right? So that's, you know, that would be one reason, right? Another reason is health AI. I mean, look at, you know, I'm, we're in a fund called Tao Ventures, which is, you know, health AI. Why are we in that? I mean, that, you know, that is the future. AI is going, as we see today, right, is the future of everything. Um, uh, we're also in Web three. You know, I've been in, I met a, you know, I've been in Bitcoin since 2014. I really believe in the impact of Bitcoin. See, when we go into Web three and Bitcoin and crypto and all that, you know, I'm, you know, my mindset's different than most people. I never went in because I was going to make money. I met, I went in in 2014 after meeting a goat farmer in Botswana through my foundation uh, in Africa, uh, who this woman uh, created the Satoshi Center in her one room hut with a dirt floor because she learned about Bitcoin in 2011 when she's trying to find uh, money to pay for her son's healthcare and couldn't find it, but she learned about Bitcoin. So she decided to dedicate her life and put take her one room hut and teach people about Bitcoin. And that's where I met her in 2014 and did my own research and realized, wow, you know, Bitcoin, you know, let's go from today is the mother of this whole ecosystem, Web3, right? If there was no Bitcoin, there would be no NFTs, no metaverse, no Ethereum, no anything, right? This was the first one. And I believe it's the most high integrity because the founders did not care about fame, money, or power. They created a fake name, so they have no fame. They created a fake name, so they have no power. They've never sold or transferred to Bitcoin. Why? Because it's traceable and transparent and immutable. So you know the numbers. So you know, and you can follow the numbers. And those have been dormant for the whole time, you know, going on our, what, 13th year. And so, and the reason why they ended up launching Bitcoin was after the 2008 housing and financial crisis. Who lost? People. The banks got bailed out, right? The companies got bailed out but the people lost. And so they came together, some of the smartest minds in the world created a fake name and launched Bitcoin into the world on blockchain to enable peer-to-peer -peer transactions without the need of lawyer, middle people, right? 
banks, Lawrence, and to really, when you think about it, support the two and a half billion unbanked to be part of the financial ecosystem. Because now people don't need banks. They can just go right on their phone. Yeah, it's an incredible story. And the evolution of that area is is still un, untapped and, and massive potential behind it. Uh, when you're when you're looking at and like you just mentioned, you are in a lot of different verticals. When you're <laughs> underwriting these these founders, um, I know a lot of times investors, they really focus on the founding team. The, the CEO, you know, who are they really understanding them and so forth. And then, of course, they look at, you know, their their, their business concept and proof of right. concept and stuff like that. Right. Uh, let's dive into the team for, first. How do you approach that conversation, that dialogue to, yeah, I hate to say underwrite, but underwrite that team to really feel like, OK, you got a good connection. There's that synergy. And I like this team. And I think that they could really fulfill on this product. What do you do? What are you looking for? Um, when you're when you're having those 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 conversations with those female founders, uh, number one, do I like what they're doing, and do I believe in what they're doing, and do I believe in them, and do I believe in why they're doing it, and do I believe that these people will be able to do it? Number one, number two, I want to know, you know, what they're doing after dinner. I want to know everything because it's really about the people, right? And you really need to find, especially in this day and age, high integrity people. And so we, we don't, I've never, I will never, and I know we'll never be able to, but like, I will never invest in somebody I have not met and that I do not really know who they are, because I think that is super, super important. Um, also, we have a, an amazing group of people that advise us in every vertical. So some of the smartest people in every vertical who give us advice and tell us about, you know, what their opinions are before we go in. Uh, very rarely do we go into very, very early, like pre-seed. Uh, but we did go into a pre-seed recently in the Web3 space uh, called Extremely, which was a girl, she's like in her 20s, and she worked at BMW as a software engineer and is creating a infrastructure play, right? Because we need the infrastructure for this to become mainstream, right? I'm not, you know, I am no techie. Somehow I've been in this for a long time and survived, but it is so complicated, right? So we need to make this where it's just easy, like you just turn on your phone, right? Or you turn on the TV. We don't need to know what's going on in the background, right? But investing in the infrastructure of this world, which I believe is the most important, to take away, you know, when you know the difference between web two and web three, right? Is web two, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, they own all your data. They're profiting from your data. Web three is you own your own data and you benefit and profit from your own data. And I think that's super, super important. And I think that is gonna be the biggest game changer and you know, disruption in history. When this there's some exciting through. stuff. Oh, 100%. And I mean, you just see the evolution and the massive movement and momentum behind the, these industries. It's just very exciting. And we're going to see this actually play out in our lives, which is really fun. When you're talking about with these underwriting, these, these, these teams and these founders, like you mentioned, integrity is the number one thing that you look for as well, of course, and, and obviously getting to know them outside and inside that, that work office space. But what are some red flags? You obviously, you know, you know, you mentioned integrity, right? And I, I definitely understand that. 
is there is there something where it's like an immediate no where it's like okay hey i saw you on because now in today's world everybody's got a social presence so you can see uh, that okay hey you said this or there was something going on here or the way you approach this or this investor i'm not getting good vibes from etc cetera, etc cetera. like what what were some red flags that you automatically say hey nope i'm out totally 100% and it may be a really good business concept. It may, you know, scale to the moon, but there's something that you just didn't feel right that you had to pass on because that was a red flag for you. There it's, we all know, right? It's, it's, it's your feeling. And how do you feel around them? Are you excited? Do you want to talk to them? Do you want to support them? Did you want to introduce them to your whole network? Right. And I think that's the key because, you know, I, in this day and age, it's hard to find people who can focus. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to focus, you have to pivot, you have to do so. And it's not, not everyone can do that. And especially if you're looking to scale to, to create a, you know, a large business. Right. And so I think for us and for me personally, I, it's just that gut feeling. It's that gut feeling is, do I trust them? Do I like them? Right. And I've been around enough and have been enough people and been screwed over enough to know now a lot. So I feel very fortunate to currently be with uh, and invest in some of the greatest people and companies. That's awesome. And now you mentioned, and, and this is something I don't talk much about, but the people that you surround yourself when you're underwriting the deal as well, because obviously, like you mentioned, you've gone through enough life experience where you've been able to dial in that intuition and you just got that feeling. But then on the on the logical basis, so like there, the metrics, et cetera, you also have to underwrite that as well. And then you kind of rely on some of your, it sounds like you're, you're really high level friends, right? Individuals that are really, you know, excelled in, in, have an incredible experience or expertise in that industry or in that vertical to help you underwrite and make sure that you're, you're, you're seeing everything. How did you find those individuals to help you be able to underwrite that properly? Was that just through network? Was that just through conversations or was that through partnerships or collaborations or what, what, what did that look like to be able to build those synergistic relationships so that it was kind of a yin and yang approach? First of all, my whole life has been dedicated to helping people. Right. I've been someone who has been, you know, have you know, thousands and thousands of people have, you know, adopted dogs through me or what, you know, I mean, just so many things and I love helping the world. So I, I think if the more you give in life, the more you get. And I feel like because I've just done so much to help the world and I've done so much to try to help the world, I, you know, and and to be able to give advice to people and to help people. I feel you surround yourself with people that are just like, you know, like you, you know, and that are going to inspire you that are smarter than you and that are experts in their field. Right. First of all, all companies need to be open. Number one, because, you know, you always need somebody out of the box. That's also within that company too. And you have to know that, right. Because, you know, with this world, it's a global economy it's a global world to be able to be able to take and partner and do all these different things can really accelerate your growth right and that's one of the things i love to do when i get involved i'm in one company called lightline medical this is a 70 year old woman 70 year old woman i i walked in halfway in her presentation 
She was a 70 year old woman who had more energy than me. And I have a lot of energy. And I was like, who is this? And when I started listening, I was like, oh my gosh, she was a patent attorney at Morris and Forrester, MoFo, for 20 years. She married her client who took three health companies public, including Marriott Genetics. She is one of the founders of this company that created the visible light to prevent any infection in catheters and dialysis. The third largest death rate in the entire world. Infections. This stops it. It's proven. It works. Blah, 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 blah. So I, I, of course, my father passed away from kidney failure infection. So I knew this. Otherwise, I would know nothing about this, right? Because, you know, but I knew about it and I understood it. So it, this would enable people to have dialysis at home without that scare of be, getting infections. You know, if you ask one out of two people, you say, Are, you want to go to the hospital? They're scared to death because they're scared to get an infection, right? And so in, so when I met her, I was like, oh my gosh, I she just, you know, just, you know, I know every night at eight o'clock, she is having drinks with her husband at home. I know this, like, I know everything about this. And so for me, it's a pleasure to introduce her to my ecosystem. <laughs> and, you know, I brought in Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic now invested and their chief nephrologist is advising the company. And we're on our way now to saving millions of lives. And also the hospitals will save billions of dollars. So for me, it's all about the people. Do I love what they're doing? Do the people that I have in my ecosystem, do they believe in the technology? And do they understand it? Because I'm certainly never going to understand the technology, right? And do I feel comfortable enough to open up my network of my whole life helping the world, right? And being all over the world um, to be able to help them. And if, and that's, I think, the key. So, you know, a lot of people come to me, hey, will you advise me and da, 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 da. I say no to probably at least one a week of advisor stuff. Cause I'm like, I don't want to advise somebody and get shares of their company if I don't like them or I don't like their company or I don't, you know, I don't believe in what they're doing or I don't feel, you know, comfortable, right? It's so powerful because you are so mission focused and vision focused as well that if they don't align and you're very quick to say no, and I appreciate unpacking that, but it's also so cool where you've been able to establish, like you are the fuel of the fire, right? Where it's like, hey, I've got you, you know, you, Wendy, you have an incredible Rolodex and you could basically open up three or four doors for your founders and boom, all of a sudden they have, you know, enterprise clients. But not only that, but it's about relationships. And I want to ask a little bit about this because I, I think in today's world, it is so focused on sales and, you know, turning the dial and closing people and making money and all that fun stuff. And we've lost that aspect of just relationships. And you, the only way you've been able to establish the amount of Rolodex and the amount of people and the amount of influence and the amount of impact that you have is because you're just very relational. You're very people oriented. And I, I, I just admire that of you. But I want to ask you. Obviously, was that an evolution for yourself or was that how do you intentionally become and, and stay relational and relationship focused with with your um, with your with your with your team, with everybody that you work with, with all the individuals that you impact? So it's funny, right? I think I connect with I think I'm you know, I'm very genuine, like, you know, I'm not in it like I don't you know, I do things because I genuinely care. <laughs> 
right? And I genuinely would not get involved with something unless it, you know, it, I felt very comfortable. So first off, I'm really bad at keeping contact, right? Because I had a stalker for four years, right? They created 50 anonymous email addresses to defame and slander me and would stalk me online and stalk me in, in person. It was just so crazy. So I got really scared of people and it really kind of put, set me back. You know, before I was doing events every day and I was like out there and blah, 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 posting everything about my life and all that kind of stuff. Not about my personal life, but I would always do it about, you know, what I was doing to help, you know, with animals and all that kind of stuff. And um, now it's interesting, right? Because I'm in a different stage of life, right? You know, I, I always say to people, if I didn't have my stalker, I wouldn't be on your show right now. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I wouldn't have created Women's Entrepreneurship Day. I wouldn't be investing in all this stuff. It's literally propelled me to an even more impactful life. But I am not like one of those people who's going to just, you know, call people to call people, right? I, you know, my relationships with people, if, you know, is if you need me, you call me, it's, it's going to be like, we just talked yesterday. Like, I don't need, you know, it doesn't matter, right? And you know when you have that relationship with someone, right? So I, you know, if I'm, you know, but I, of course, have a lot of, like, not close connections. But I feel, you know, if I need to reach out, they will respond as well as I would never reach out if it wasn't going to benefit both parties, right? Like, I would never, ever you know, go to, you know, the president of, of Mayo Clinic and introduce him to Vicky at, at Lightline Medical if I didn't have the highest regard for her. And I didn't think 100% in my head, we are going to save millions of lives. You know, this is going to stop and prevent the third largest death rate in the world infections. So I think it's about that kind of relationship. I'm not calling, you know, the head of Mayo Clinic every day to say, hey, what are you doing tonight? You know what I mean? And it's just like having that, you know, I think that people know, you know, when you're real. And and by the way, I don't want to work with anyone who doesn't want to work with me. I don't care who says no. I don't even, you know, your loss. Because I am like one of these people who just always thinks of really cool things and has opportunities for everyone and wants to help everyone. So, I, you know, you're never going to please everyone. We see it today, you know, in the media. 100%, 100%. And it's it's cool that I appreciate your honesty in that regard. So it's not like you're act actively, you know, got a uh, CRM. It's like, hey, reminding you, hey, reach out to 15 people a day or something like that. And, you know, saying, hey, how are you doing or whatever. It's, you're, you're going out there and saying, hey, when... <laughs> Well, yeah, I've, I've seen some people's systems like that where they where they they're, they're very systematically in building relationships. Well, that's like you know, what people say about my foundation, you know, Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization. You know, we're in 100 countries. We have the most incredible ambassadors that are just genuine about supporting and helping women entrepreneurs and impoverished women to become entrepreneurs and to support women entrepreneurs in their communities, right? And it just, you know, I'm so bad. You know, and I'm so like, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm always like, hey, you're right. You know, and I'll do it like every, I'll, I'll force myself to get in contact once a week to everyone, right? Because we give them a toolkit and then they, they go, right? That's the whole point of it. But, you know, we have our big foundations event at the United Nations everywhere. And 
and I laugh. Like, I don't want to be corporate. I've never had a job. I don't even know what it's like to like have health insurance easily or, or have a paycheck or I don't, that's not my life, right? I've never had that. I've always had to be an entrepreneur and figure out my way. And there's nothing better to me than just having a gen, you know, being genuine about everything and not, you know, just have, just making a difference on a grassroots way versus this whole structural way. I just feel it's just more me being scrappy. I love startups. I love the whole space. And yeah, and, and like you mentioned as well, is when you do reach out to someone, they know this is going to be a high value connection because they you've had experience before and they've had experience before. And so it may not, you know, like you mentioned, where you have to reach out to them every month, but it may be a year and like, hey, you know what? I got a really valuable connection. You guys should connect and have that synergistic relationship. I want to loop back around on something you mentioned. And I, I, it reminded me of a story of, of a friend of mine, and he never, he had a horrible experience on a plane, and he never, is still has never taken a plane, airplane, since that experience. And so he drives everywhere, and it just becomes so rambunctious. My point is, is that really taught me a lesson where, you know, you could have an experience, a negative experience in your life dictate the future of it or you can obviously learn from it and say well that was only one experience and that may happen again but at least i can mitigate that a little bit i can learn from that what happened and overcome it my point is is you had a stalker but you 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 allowed it to you know kind of mitigate that a little bit but then you you learn from it. you grow you grew from it and i want to dive into that a little bit further mainly on the personal stuff because i think we've all had where we've deployed you know million dollars into in a bad investment and you go man i just blew that money or you know whatever it was like you, you just it is it's just part of life and so instead of sitting there going oh i'm never going to deploy my money ever again into that sector you know blockchain or whatever it's more of okay what what can i learn from this right and my, my point is, is what did you learn? How did you grow from that? Who was beside you to help you have the right perspective in that personal situation? If, if you don't mind uh, unpacking that a little bit. <laughs> okay. I'll, the truth, I'll tell you the truth. All right. The truth is when I was really young, like back when I started Animal Fair, uh, first of all, I've been a health nut my whole life. I've been a, a, a vegetarian, blah, blah, blah. But I was with somebody at the time that was a smoker that got me smoking. And I started when I was, I was so stressed, you know, starting animal fair and all this kind of stuff. Uh, this is going to go somewhere that you're going to crack up. All right. So anyways, um, and so I, and I was working 24 hours a day to seriously create animal fair and make this happen and help the world and help animals. And I was smoking literally a pack of reds a day, me, like who's a yogi, blah, 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 blah. And I'll never forget a friend of mine who is a producer at 2020 called me for lunch and she says, Hey, I haven't seen you for so long. Let's have lunch. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I can't. She's like, everyone needs to eat. Let's just go meet for lunch. And I'm like, okay. And I get there and I had like the Nicorette gum. I was like, our Nicorette gum. I had the patch on. I was like smoking. I said, take me to St. Vincent's hospital if I have a heart attack. And she says, you know, really interesting. We just had a segment on 2020 on a guy called the Mad Russian. And she said, you know, Harvard did a, a study on him, spent $30 million. They couldn't figure out what it was, uh, but they said it worked. And literally at one hour, $65 cash, he would get you to quit smoking. And so I literally the next week went to Boston and I went to go see him. And he's this cute little chubby, bald-headed, like Russian guy. And 20 people in the room 
20 people were in the room. Like one was a heroin addict. One was like a cocaine dealer. You know, it was like this crazy group of people, right? Who were going there for addictions. And in one hour and $65 cash, 20 some years ago, literally that person did more for me in my life. Like when I'm on my deathbed, I will like say thank you to him. He literally in one hour and $65 cash got me to stop smoking, stop biting my nails. I now work out three times a week. I take vitamins every day. But the most important thing I learned, and by the way, and when I say I've done this now because of him every day for 20, you know, my whole life, right? <laughs> um, one thing I learned from him that most people don't, if you Google him, you'll see a lot of people like are like me. But I feel like I got more from him because I was just like, oh, my God, I want to be better. I want to I'm going to listen to everything. I don't want to smoke. I want I want to just oh, my gosh, I want to be better. So one thing I learned from him is everything's in our mind, the way we see, think and feel. So the minute your mind goes, you know, oh, the dark, you know, oh, my life sucks. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I seriously want because of him, I know how to quickly get out of that and be like, who are you kidding? I've got the greatest life. You know, what's the worst that could happen? It's the key word. What's the worst that could happen? I could eat pizza and live in my home, right? Like, you know, you have to always remember, you know, as long as, you know, you know you did not do anything wrong or you didn't do anything right, you just have to remember that, you know, it's, you know, that it's that this is a problem and we're going to get over it because what is an issue? Something you have not gotten over. But once you deal with it, you no longer have an issue. And so literally with this stalker, I just do like every day. I was just like, there's a positive from this. I'm, I don't know whether I'm going to know in a day, a year or 10 years. There's some positive to this. Right. And I've always been in, like an optimist and I've always been happy. And I've always been, you know, because I've always, you know, I, when I was a kid, I had to go through some crazy stuff. And, um, but I've always just been one of these people that have always just thought, you know, everything's a positive. Like there's a reason why I'm going through this and look at if I didn't go through the stalker, you know, at the time, you know, when I was like on the today show every month, I had a primetime show on CBS, all this stuff. Right. But if I didn't go through the stalker, I would have never created women's entrepreneurship day organization. I, there would never have been a program to help disabled women become entrepreneurs funded by Google for startups around the world. There would never have been, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, there wouldn't have been base pods that are going to help pets live longer and healthier lives. Maybe I could have, they could have done it another way, but I was very interested in that company, but you know what I'm saying? There's like so much. And I feel like, wow, like everything, if I die tomorrow, it's been a great ride. Do you know what I mean? Cause it's like going through, all this craziness and you're just like wow this has been like a crazy ride if somebody would have told me like you know when i was drinking a six pack of beer in the Derek queen parking lot in cleveland ohio when i was growing up that i lived the life i'm living now i'd be like when can i begin you know that's so awesome that is so awesome and and i was curious i mean if you think about your younger naive wendy if you will right you know young kind of coming out just figured i'm still naive <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, but I'm still naive. But you're less naive, I guess, huh? <laughs> I am so little less naive. Let's go up from Ohio, a 2,500 person town. 
<laughs> but you know, obviously, I, I love that. I love that analogy. I love that story as well. And it's just so cool, like you mentioned, where you're reframing every example, and you said, "Hey, somehow, I don't know how, but you're going to learn from this, and it's going to be positive, and it's going to, you know, build fruition somehow, and it's going to evolve into it." And you gave some really beautiful examples in that. And when you look back, I mean, you've done incredible things. You know, a lot of people, and even just this snippet of of our podcast, you've done. 10 times more of what we, what we talked about. If you look back on that young Wendy, like I was talking about, what insecurities did you have to overcome to become the, the Wendy you are currently? What insecurities? Okay. Um, you know, I did have to deal with when I was younger, you know, two mentally unstable parents, which you know, made me have to grow up very quickly and have two jobs and go to high school and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, just having that resilience and that understanding perseverity and under having a great work ethic, you know, just knowing that you, you know, I just really know how to get things done and I'm creative enough to be able to figure things out. And if I didn't, it, and then, you know, you'd want, you know, I, I was hit by a car when I was uh, 15 in traction for a half a year. And I used to watch, all these, <laughs> I used to watch like TV, like the traction, you know, and, um, and I'll yeah. never forget like watching all these shows and being like, oh, I wish I had that life. And then now I'm like, oh my God, I kind of have that life. And I'm like, whoa, you know, you, you know, be careful what you wish for, number one. And number two. It's just so important to be humble and it's so important to realize like, you know, that we are so blessed in life to be living, right? To not forget to live and not to forget to enjoy the journey, right? How many, you know, I think I've read so many studies about how these super rich billionaires, whatever are, you know, very few are happy, right? Because think about it. You know, it's like they probably either they got lucky, right? And then what happens is they put themselves in a box because they're so scared of people because everyone probably wants something from them, right? The greatest gift is to not just to be, you know, be hardworking, afford your life. If you want a few extra things, make sure you afford your life a little more, you know, and just appreciate everything and be grateful. Very well said. Very well said. It's such massive wisdom. And it's so sad because it is very unorthodox thinking. It's always bigger, better, more, more, more followers, more likes, more money, more whatever. And, you know, we get caught into that very quickly. What do you on a personal note, because it is so easy, we see so many people and even still, you know, obviously we could could say that, you know, social media has amplified that even more so. But my question is, you know, um, what do you do to align yourself consistently? so that you stay humble, that you, you know, align yourself and saying, Hey, I don't need all this other stuff. And this is, this is fine with me and not keeping up with the Joneses and not comparing yourself to all this. I think this is interesting because um, just a few statistics that I, I was talking with my, my nephew, actually uh, that generation right there, majority, a lot of them are are facing a lot of suicide and there the suicide rate in that is, and, and, and there's a lot of excuse, a lot of stuff, a lot of things going on. We could talk about that another day, but wait, that was a big concern of mine because I was like, wow, because there's such massive pressure on the looks, on the image. And obviously I know men are getting into pornography and I just all this, just garbage and stuff like that. My point is, is with everything that looks kind of negative, 
you've been able to keep aligned with your North Star, right? Your thesis on who you are and how you are and and you show up, like you mentioned, it's not about the, the money and whatever. My point is, is Wendy, what do you do maybe on a daily basis, maybe on a weekly basis that helps you stay integrous with, with who you are? I spend a lot of time with some of the projects that we fund, you know, so I take a trip, you know, I, this year I was in Colombia and we funded a project for, uh, in, in Colombia, they accept all Venezuelans, right? And as we know, they have a very corrupt dictator, it's a, a horrible situation. And we funded a program uh, with, uh, in partnership with Opportunity International to fund this program with these women with microloans. And I went there and I spent like days with these women and I, I saw what they were doing with the recycling, you know, company and, and engaging all the children. And I, and I'm going to mentor uh, next month. I'm going to the uh, York prison in Connecticut and I'm going to mentor the incarcerated women that is, are going through this entrepreneurship program. I do that. I take my time to do that. You know, and it was kind of, it kind of goes back to when I was helping homeless people at the beginning of my life, a career, you know, I would go and feed like a thousand homeless people a week on the coalition for the homeless van. I just saw the van like yesterday in New York, you know, giving a lot of these, uh, you know, migrants, you know, food. And I was, and I just, it hit me and I was like, wow, if I, you know, going on that van and seeing and being able to hand a, you know, a milk and a ham sandwich and an apple to a person with a huge smile on their face. And I'll never forget this guy with like two teeth back then. And then going home and then being like at the hottest restaurant with your friends, like eating dinner. And you just realize like, wow, what life is really about, right? And I think more people, if they found what they really care about, whether it's, you know, if they care about, you know, you know curing cancer or they care about animal rescue, of just really going and, and volunteering and supporting these organizations that are working on it, but really volunteering and seeing the impact that they're having. Because that really then humbles you and you realize like, wow, you know, I will never complain again in my life. I will never, right? And do that kind of thing. And I think that's important. And then I do yoga. I go to bed and wake up at the same time. I never get stressed. You know, a minute, the minute my, my mind goes dark, what do I do? I think about the mad Russian. We control our mind the way we see, think, and feel, right? A minute, I can't, you know, they say you could change your mind in a second. It's true. You really can. It's the key for everyone if you could just control your minds and, and the way you think and see and feel. So powerful. Oh, my gosh. Wendy, this has been such a great conversation. Uh, we we should have you on again because there's so many other subjects and verticals that I want to talk about. But I appreciate you unpacking your, your incredible amount of you know, experience and expertise and wisdom on this podcast. And for those that want to reach out to you and connect, I know you're very active on LinkedIn, other social media platforms. How else do they reach out to you and maybe just keep, uh, keep uh, track of what you're doing, Wendy? I'm very bad about putting it out there, but you know, I'm on every, you know, you can go to wendydiamond.com and you can see all, you know, the stuff that I'm involved with. And then there's links to, you know, LinkedIn and Instagram and all that. Awesome. And make it uh, very simple for those that are listening and watching. I'll put those links in the description so uh, you guys can take a look at her portfolio company. You can take a, you know, reach out to her, connect with her as well. She's very active on, on a lot of different platforms. 
and uh, very active in the community, as, as she has mentioned. Uh, Wendy, I appreciate you being on here big time. Uh, thank you so much, guys. That is Wendy Diamond, the managing partner of LDP Ventures, the one and only. Guys, that is Journey with the Christian Podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can.